Now, right, let me open up to uh, Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to uh, be preaching out of this. And uh, today is a continuation of our Rediscovering the Father sermon series. A little shout out to our internet listeners. Sharon was asking for you guys to come. Sharon, there's some of the internet listeners that you were like all pumped up. I don't know if you heard, she's like, come on out and visit us. So hey, it's a prophetic uh, call right there. <laughs> now they're, they're, they're good friends of, uh, of, of, of the family, so we've been in contact. But we, we, yeah, we, we thank you for, for being here and blessing us with your presence. But yeah, we are uh, doing a sermon series, right? And we have been on rediscovering the Father because uh, a lot of times in the Christian church we, we, we navigate, or rather I should say we gravitate uh, to the Son. And we know that the Son and the Father and the Spirit are all in one. But there's different characteristics that are exemplified. And so we wanted to, you know, go into understanding the Father. And so with uh, today uh, will be the concept of with a creation comes a meaning. With a creation comes a meaning. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have sent or you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that you shall be a special treasure to me above all of the people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And then after this, the Lord does respond with fuego, with esh, which would be in Hebrew or in English, fire. The Lord comes with a holy fire. Amen. All right, so this is what uh, we have to get into here. With the creation comes a meaning. God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, we all know that, right? It's Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. But there's a concept that is, is sometimes missing. The missing. And the concept is this. Nothing is created without a meaning. It's good. Like there would be no reason to create something if it had no meaning. I mean, think about like we have cars and the, the meaning of a car is we want to get places faster, right? Um, we, we, we have cups and the, the reason why we designed a cup is because there was a need to like drink out of something. And we, we have computers and we have clothes. Like, what I'm saying is nothing is ma made, made and created for just, for, this, for just to be there. And for it to have no meaning or have no purpose. Um, I mean, like as it's been said, right? Necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So we make things because there is a necessity to make them. 
So here's something pretty big, which got me into a little trouble when I was teaching at a Reformed uh, Bible college. If we're made, there must have been a necessity for our creation. Come on, that's good. good some people don't always like that. But guys, we were made because there was some type of need or strong want or strong desire, right? By a heavenly being. Yeah. That got me into a little trouble. Fortunately, I wasn't called into the dean's office because the students liked me. It's okay, though. So God the Father created man. And we know and with the creation of a people comes a meaning. And so this is for us today, right? If, if there was no meaning to your life, there would be no need for you to be created. And so if Jeremiah says that the father knew you in your mother's womb, and before all that was made was made, he's up there in the heavenly throne room saying, I want to make you. That's you. Cool. I mean, like, we're not just talking about Adam and Eve. Like, he knew that you were coming down the pipe. There is a purpose for your creation. And here in Exodus chapter 19, we see a zooming in on the people of God, the Israelites, who are called for a purpose. Right In the scripture verse, which we just read right here, is now God speaking to a people and saying, I am putting my hand on you for a very specific meaning, a very specific purpose. Israel's called out of Egypt, called into the desert place, where the Lord comes to them and says, all right, you are now going to be a priestly nation, set apart, different from all other peoples on planet Earth. I mean, that's like, that's pretty big. Yeah. That's pretty big, right? And so they were called out of Egypt, called out of the desert place to get a meaning. And that meaning was, in fact, as, as it says here, to be a priesthood. Good. So here we go. This is, a little, this is like the only little philosophical part of the message. Uh, we have meaning, purpose, because we have an existence. Without being, or without having an existence, then, then you would not have meaning. But the very fact that we exist means we have a purpose, a meaning. And so like philosophers and people, lay, you know, armchair philosophers throughout the day have always asked the question, what is the meaning of life? Right? What is the meaning of life? Well, in, in this kind of like rabbinical, biblical kind of view of this, uh, we would say like, that's a really bad question. What is the meaning of life? That's a bad question. The better question would be, what is the meaning of existence? And the answer is life. We all exist, but so does that chair. But I'm different than that chair. That chair does not have life. I have life. And how did I have life? Because the breath of God went down to Adam, went down to mud and breathed his breath inside of it. and made me and you in the creation and likeness of him. Guys, that's more than just existing. That's, good. that's having life. And that life produces a purpose. He breathed his life in you to create a sentient, free will being that has a choice in the matter of things. That is an amazing, amazing purpose. Okay? And so it's this. Um, there is a message. The message uh, is the meaning of life. Um, calling out from the scriptures is, is, is really this understanding that uh, there is a meaning. The meaning of life is, uh, is the message that's going forth from the Bible. 
Um, and really that this meaning and this message of life is really the substance of life. Um, it's been said, if we get this to work, there you go. It fell asleep. Uh, one of my favorite uh, little philosophers, Rabbi Abraham Heschel, says this, man is a messenger who forgot the message. Like, we, 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 were, we were saved out of the pit and given a message. We've, we've had the breath of life breathed inside of us to proclaim a message. And whether you're saved or not saved, what we have here is a concept is that many of us have forgotten the very message that we were called to give. And the message is we have life and your life has a purpose. But now the question here is for the 21st century, well, what is the purpose of life, right? And that's really what we need to get into. Uh, today I want to remind you of the meaning of your life because the message is, in fact, the meaning. And the message has been forgotten by man. The meaning to life is a very substance and reason for life. In fact, it's the proof of life. The very fact that we have meaning means that we have life. We're not just existing. So, here's a little bit of a long kind of thing that I came up with. Maybe it'll help out, maybe not. Maybe it'll make you more confused, but it's this. It's a little short prose. We all exist, but yet many people are looking to extend their life. Remember, there's a difference between the existence and life. The chair exists, I'm alive, and I also exist. We all exist, but yet many people are simply looking to extend their life. In reality, they are simply looking to extend their existence, not their life. For they are not concerned with finding meaning in their existence. The meaning of their existence is the life they are vainly trying to extend. And since the focus on the extension of existence and not on life, life escapes them. Life is the meaning in the existence. What I mean by this kind of little prose here is this. Like, there are so many people that are concerned about extending their life, right? Like, what diet should you eat and what doctor should you go to and which supplement should you have and all this kind of stuff so that we can extend our time here on planet Earth, which is a very good thing. But the funny thing here is so many of us are looking to protect our existence, my 401k, my job, my career, my health, which is all good things. But if there's so much focus on that, there's something that is fleeing you. There's something that you have lost and it's the message. It's the message of life itself, which is the whole concept of, um, well, our purpose, our purpose of being priests. So, uh, you know, let me take a look at this kind of uh, funny thing. Back in 2005, National Geographic did this really kind of bizarro world uh, article, which I think they actually just republished. Uh, and it was a study on the areas of Earth that had the highest percentage of octogenarians. Uh, those are people that have, have reached the, the 80 decade. So 80 to 90 and above. They, they went around planet Earth and like, holy cow, look at these pockets. And turns out, turns out uh, that there are five locales on planet Earth that have this ridiculous increase in the amount of people that are living like really long. So that National Geographic is like, oh, they must have the elixir of life. What's the reason? How on earth are they extending their life so long? It must be like the water. It must be the diet. It must be all this kind of stuff. So they, they did a, a research, and what happens here is they find these five places. These five places that do a really nice job at extending their existence. Uh, they really only focus in on three. And for the sake of time, I'll only do the three. 
For you Italians out there, it's time to move back. <laughs> but not anywhere in Italy, a specific place in Italy, Sardinia. In uh, Sardinia, um, it's a mountainous type of region, uh, and there, there, most of the people are shepherds. They eat a high-fat diet. This is like really, this is like really frustrating National Geographic. They're like, everything that you would think, which would prolong or elongate your life, they don't do. So uh, what they do here is uh, they have a high-fat diet. They're, they're shepherds, so a lot of goat meat, a lot of lamb meat, goat cheese, very heavy foods, right? Um, please don't yell at me for this. I'm just reporting what National Geographic said. You ready? You're going to hate me for this. One cigarette after each meal. No, no. I'll, that's if you live in Sardinia and you, you know, it's only two a day, Sharon. All right. So, right, no, I guess in, in moderation. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not saying you should be smoking. What I'm saying here is this really frustrated the... They probably do. Um, one cigarette after lunch and dinner and one glass, one glass of red wine after lunch and dinner. That's what they did. And they're like, wait, red wine? Like, it's high in alcohol content, this, that, of cheese. This is, makes no sense. But as they looked further, they saw some things. They lived extremely active lifestyles their entire life. They are shepherds. They are climbing mountains in all types of weather, outside, in the mountains, taking care of the sheep. And here's the beautiful thing. Amongst a grandfather, a father, and a grandson. Three generations it would take to do this. And the women are doing the same thing. This is not like grandma and great-grandma are shoved off to some nursing, a nursing home or something. This is they live together in villages and they work together. And grandma and great-grandma are like teaching the kids how to, make, how to make bread and how to churn the butter. And they do life together. And so there's a deep, deep concept there on how to make existence actually a life. Next place is, is, is probably my, my favorite place because it's pretty cool. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists in California. That's the uh, Loma Linda, California. Now, Seventh-day Adventists are actually a sect of Christianity. Um, yeah, they've got some different things going on. I don't know all of their theology, but you know, the theology I do know, it links up to, they believe Jesus, right? But they kind of set themselves apart in some ways. Um, There's some, some kind of cool things. I mean, I don't know about cool, because I tried it for one month, and I felt like I had the flu for about three weeks. And that was they have largely a vegetarian-based diet. So they believe, like, they want to return to the time before Noah, right? The most beautiful scripture verse in the entirety of the Bible is Noah get up and sacrifice and eat meat. That was the first time the, the, the orchestration of killing, you know, to eat uh, is happen happening. So many people believe before, before Noah's flood that man was uh, vegetarian is, is the idea. Well, <clears throat> they want to go back to that kind of concept, and they um, are vegetarians. But they also have absolutely no alcohol, absolutely no caffeine, absolutely no sugar. It's like, all right, this, this kind of makes sense, right? I mean, they're living their life so long. But when they look deeper, they saw some other beautiful things. Uh, one thing is that they are, right, they are Christians, and they, they take their community very, very um, seriously. And so they have deep church community for multiple generations. Like, they're spending a lot of the day together. They're interacting. The church is the center of their life throughout the week, not just on Sunday. 
Right? There's a community that's there. The other thing that was very uh, interesting with that is that, um, na that National Geographic would, would talk about it. They call themselves Seventh-day Adventists because they observe the seventh day, which is Saturday, the Sabbath. They have a rest. When I mean rest, no TV, no real driving, no buying, no shopping, no consuming. You spend time with your family, you spend time with people from your church, and you simply stop and rest. Makes sense, right? Sardinia didn't make sense, but this makes sense. All right, the cream of the crop here be the land of Mr. Miyagi. Okinawa. Okinawa, they just like blow it up. They're like, whoa, eat like the highest of the highest of octogenarians. Yep, yeah, uh, like they're even better than Italy, even better than California. It's like, whew. Well, this also makes sense. Uh, they have a sea, largely seafood diet, a vegetable-based diet as well. Uh, the older ladies, particularly, like they're 80 years old, 82 years old, they're gardening every day. Like they get their food from the food that they make, not from the grocery store. Like the little Japanese lady who's out there gardening to eat, right? That's what they're doing. It's an island off the coast of Japan, so it makes sense for the seafood. Uh, they have small villages. Uh, and so in these small villages, they have these really deep communities. They were interviewing these Japanese women, uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm gardening with my best friend that I've known since I was five. They're like 90. So like every morning at, at the age, for 85 years, they've been going out to the same garden, and they pull weeds and all that kind of stuff, and they talk to one another, and they have a purpose. Right? They have a little bit like an interaction, a deep sense of community. Um, and so, you know, trying to bring this to, you know, the Bible, right? Um, they, uh, the researchers went to them, to these Japanese women, like, hey, you're octogenarians, unbelievable, but even better than everywhere else. Uh, and they asked the question, what, what do you think is the reason for your long life? Like, why do you think you guys are just living a life that's so much longer than everyone else? Uh, and they respond. They respond with a Japanese word, ikigai. The researchers like, well, they, 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 they couldn't really, like, they were having a hard time translating. So, like, Ikigai, and wrote it down, they went to the translator, and they, they get this. Um, we have a reason for being. Uh, we have a reason and a why to rising in the morning. Wow. And our reason is, I have my girlfriend to hang out with, and I have my great-granddaughter to play and to teach the, the family uh, traditions to. Oh, so that's what gets me up out of the, morning, uh, up out of the bed. I, I have to see them. I have to be with them. That's, that's my purpose. That's my reason for existence. So what we have here is this. Various cultures on planet Earth have wrestled with the purpose of existence. Japan, they have this ikigai, which really fits into the stereotype of the Japanese. It's all about duty. It's all about responsibility. Duty to the family. You know those gardens are probably like perfect like right angles with like pebbles and zen Zen garden, you know, they're, they're very, very systematic in what they do, right? Yeah, okay, that's, that's their purpose in many regards. Uh, but there are other societies that have done this. Uh, for example, of course, France. France calls it the raison d'etre, the, the reason of being. That's how they articulate. So the Japanese articulate ikigai, the French raison d'etre, right? The reason of being. Uh, in Japan, they take a little different approach. Uh, their approach is a little bit more like enjoy the pleasures of life, right? <laughs> That's kind of like the stereotype of France, right? The, the, the concepts there. Uh, yet, there's yet another society. Where we got there? New York, right? Americans came up with another uh, concept. Right? Kind of like you guy, kind of like raison d'etre, but we call it 
essentially existentialism, which we more or less stole from the French and then made it our own. Like the great existential writers were French. Uh, but the Americans took it and kind of adopted it. And so this is how we define the purpose of being. You, like, you can hear it's like so American, right? It's unbelievable, right? Japanese, it's like duty, responsibility, take care of the family. French, oh, let's enjoy life, ha, 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 right? Uh, and America's like, this is it. This is unbelievable. A, and, a, a, and or a existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent determining their own development through acts of the will. Like, that's like screaming, like freedom, individual rights. I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to make it happen. Yes, yeah, very libertarianism. So this is the concept, right? Determine your will, make the man, achieve, get her done. Build skyscrapers. Build the largest and create the largest GDP that the world has ever seen. The most powerful military the world has ever seen. And you do it by manning up, ponying on up, and getting her done. Okay? But you get to determine what that is. Wow. If you want to be a hippie and, and you know, up in, uh, up in uh, upstate New York, you can do that. But it's your will and you make it happen. If you want to be a big businessman and a capitalist, make it happen. Right? Now, look, I, I don't mean to necessarily make fun of any three of these, particularly the American ones. I'm very thankful for this type of concept because I am a beneficiary of the largest GDP in the world. I'm a beneficiary of the technologies that America has been able to create. But that's the notion of the existentialism and the reason for being by these different cultures. But here we go, man. There's yet another culture. Another people that has raised the issue of being. The meaning of existence. No Eiffel Tower. No Tokyo. A desert. These people didn't have much. No riches, no new technologies. In fact, they were an enslaved people with no home as of yet. And they were called the Israelites. Wandering around the desert trying to figure out what the heck is the reason of being. Now, what was so unique about their, their evaluation of existence is that they did not define the reason of being with a term. They posed it as an eternal question which was given to them by God, the Father of all creation. And it's this. Where are you, Adam? Come on. No existentialism, no ikigai, no raison d'etre. It is the purpose of existence is a voice that cries out from a garden. You've sinned and you've turned away and you've put the fig leaves on, but I'm here to say, but where are you? I still want you. Come on, man. Yeah, the question throughout the ages has never been, where are you, God? Where is God? How come this? No, no, no. That's, that's once again, a bad question. The right question has always been, where are you, Adam? Adam never had to go to God. Where are you? In spite of his sin, God is there saying, where are you, Adam? You are running away from me. You are hiding from me. I'm here. I don't care about the nakedness. I don't care about the fig leaves. I just want to be in relationship with Adam and Hava. I want to be in relationship with Adam and Eve. I want you. And so here it is, man. All other nations have wrestled with their reason for being. 
Why am I here? What am I doing? What's the purpose? Pleasure, goodness, duty, responsibility, wealth. What is it? But with Israel, they did not have to wrestle with the issue of being. For they were told by the Father, the creator of all being, your purpose is you are mine. You are a nation of priests. Before me and before all of the nations of the earth, you're mine in holy relationship. The only people on planet earth that God said, I don't want you to figure out what your purpose is. I'm telling you what your purpose is. You're mine. You're my priest to be in relationship and, and, and minister to me and to, 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 to be with one another. It's like, oh, I don't have to figure out my purpose anymore. It's great. He's told us. In fact, it's the whole reason for creation, is it not? Come on. God created sentient free will buildings, uh, buildings, free will people, beings, to walk in the cool of the garden with him and to be with so the eternal question, where are you, Adam? Their, their, their response in the desert place uh, is, Hineni uh, shalacheni. Here I am, send me. Come on. It's not just, I'm here, Lord. I mean, Adam can't even really, like, he does say that, right? He says, I'm here, I'm a hiding kind of thing. But, but here a response by this group of people is, I'm here, send me. Do something with me. Come on. That's the response. Um, and so what are they saying? Here I am, send me. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes to the call. We say yes to the priesthood. And what's really powerful here is God responds with fire. From their yes, from them adopting this purpose and being, God responds with holy fire. The presence of Almighty God in the temple, in the tent, the tabernacle. And so here we go, right? If, if you are melancholic, if you're in the doldrums, if you're in the winter blues, and even if that happens not just in the winter, but happens year-round, it is because, please hear my heart here. I, I, I go through this, man. Like, February, March, I'm like, you know, I get a little melancholic, and I have to remind myself I have to remind myself of the purpose of being. But if you are melancholic and if you're in the doldrums and if you are in the winter blues or if you have a general attitude of life of why, it is because you are focusing just on your existence and not on the life in the existence. Look, a, a bird in a cage, a bird in a cage is not doing what a bird is designed for. And then therefore, it's suppressed. And why is it depressed? It's depressed because it's not doing what it was designed to do. It was designed to fly. Come on. And if a bird does not fly, it no longer is a bird. Wow. And then therefore, it is depressed. It's not doing what it was designed to do. It was designed by the Almighty Creator to fly. And so now the question is here for us, a human, what was he or she designed to do and to be? And if you're not doing it, you're going to be depressed. Now, if I'm spiritual, we can say you were born to fly, but really what comes down, you were born and designed to be a priest. Priest before the holy God of the heavens and the earth and all of creation. And if we are not walking in a priesthood in our life, you're going to be depressed. And I don't blame you. 
A bird would be depressed if it does not do what it was designed to do. Fly. You are pre priests. You're called out from the nations of the earth to join the nation of Israel to be a priest before God and before man. If you're not acting as a priest, you're going to be blah. Of course you are. Why wouldn't you? My, you mean, that's just the way it works. If the human no longer does what he was designed for, he is no longer a... A bird no longer does what a bird is to do. Fine, you can say he's an ostrich or a turkey, but really for this, it's like if a bird does not fly, he's no longer a bird. If a human is no longer a priest, he's no longer a human. What is a human? A human being. It's an act of existence. It's not just an act of doing. Many of us on planet Earth are human doers, not human beings. Beings are those who live in existence in relationship with the Heavenly Father. You simply exist. You don't live. He, man, is simply a machine that just produces and consumes. Right? The great painting, right? The great, the great connection between Adam and God, right? Man, man becomes, or becomes a machine, or we make God a machine, and we just look to God as a producer and something that we can consume, and we lose the relationship. And remember, all this is coming out of the notion is man is a messenger who forgot the message. What's the message? You're born with a purpose, and that purpose is to be a priest in relationship with the Heavenly Father. But some of you are like, what? Like, I'm a priest? Yes, you are a priest. The good news is you don't have to find your purpose. Isn't that great? The greatness is you do not have to find your purpose. Your purpose has found you. He died for you to remind you of the message. And he's been calling out to you since the garden, saying, where are you, Adam? Adam, man, come, have fellowship with me. Be a priest again. What do priests do? Because you're like, all right, I get this priest. What do priests do? I'm going to keep it simple. We can go real deep with the theology, and maybe that'll be like a future week. But what, to keep it simple, what do priests do? Priests were called out to minister to the heart of the Father. To give up sacrifice and to give up worship unto the holy God. That's what priests were called to do. And that's what they're still called to do today. And God wanted to have a free will sentient being that could do that. So he created him in his image and in his likeness. Another thing on a very, very basic level, well, what do priests do? Well, in the nation of Israel, and the priests, it says here that, that, that they're going to be a priest before all of the other nations. Essentially, you make intercession and prayer and sacrifice for your fellow brethren on planet Earth. Like, it's, it's, it's not just like you're ministering to the Father, but you are a priest to minister and to intercede and to be a mouthpiece to the other nations of the Earth. Gosh, just think about this for like one moment. If the nation of Israel dropped the ball on being a priesthood and they no longer follow the law that we all say is so evil and bad, if they no longer follow the law, if they no longer issued into sacrifice, there would be no way that a Messiah could come because there would be no family that was, that, 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 that was living by the law. The very fact that Israel decided to be a priestly class and singled out and suffer all of that atrocity towards them is the reason why you're sitting here. Because of their faithfulness, not your faithfulness. Their faithfulness of being a priest. Isaiah 61. 
Arise and shine, for the light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, and the Gentiles shall come to the brightness of your rising. If the priests didn't arise, the Gentiles could not see the light. I mean, this is very, very, very powerful stuff, I think. Thanks, man. So this is what they do. They minister to God in relationship, but they also minister to humanity, bringing the message of repentance, redemption, and hope. And I'm just being real with you as we have the worship team come on down or Mario come on down. I'm just being real with you, man. I just know if I'm in a funk at work, at the school that I'm teaching at, or I'm in a funk around my family and friends, I take a pause and say, why am I in a funk? I'm in a funk because I'm not acting as a priest. I don't believe I'm a priest right now. Because when you, when you understand your priesthood, when you're sitting there and you're like, I'm, my purpose right now in the midst of my work and in the midst of my family and in the midst of going to the grocery store, it's like I am a priest unto God and to man. I need to show the people around me the goodness of the Father through the Son. And if we're not doing that and we don't have that in our hearts, you will be a bird in a cage. Amen. Depressed. That's good, Melancholic. Where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Come on. God, where are you? In this situation, in my work, in my family, where are you? We say it all the time. It's a bad question. He's right here. You're the one that's not in tune to him. He's in tune to you. The reason why you're not in tune to him is because you've taken off the ephod. You've taken off the priestly garments. The garments of praise in a New Testament concept. We take on the thanksgiving. We take on the joy. We take on the exaltation of the Father. We put on the garments of praise. We put on the garments of a priest. And depression goes because you're living out your calling and you are flying on eagle's wings. Guys, and I'm getting fired up because I need this message in February. I'm pretty good. I don't like new lessons. I mean, I always need the message, but I don't completely need that message in July when the sun's out, we're going to the beach and the wind, and you know, the, the music's on, the Jeep top is down, the kids are in the back. I don't need it then. But in February, when it hasn't even snowed yet, it's like, Lord, if you brought me to the Northern Hemisphere and I have to go through the seasons, let me see the seasons. Like the gray, I can't handle it. It could be negative. 40 out, and as long as the sun is out or there's snow on the ground, I'm good. But when it's gray, and it's always gray, and it's not really hot, it's not really cold, it's just gray. It's like, Lord, give me some snow. Praise the Lord. So it's a message that I need. I need this time of year. David, you were saved by the High priest, Jesus, to be a priest unto the Father because of the blood of Jesus and the powering of the Holy Ghost. You are to be a priest before me in relationship. Come to me, I say unto you, where are you, David? Where are you, my beloved? Come to my altar. Come to the feet of the cross. Come and be with me and be empowered to be a priest to those kids in that school. Be empowered to be a priest to your colleagues. Be empowered to be a priest to your family that's going through things. Adopt the garments of a priest. The French couldn't give that to us. The Japanese couldn't give that to us. 
Even, dare I say, the Americans could not give that to us. But a people who are called by God out of all the nations of the earth could bear that and produce that is the coming of Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And so this reminds me of a rabbinical story that really got me in trouble at that more reformed, conservative Bible school around here. Here's a, if we could just lower the piano a tad, maybe you might have to do it from up front. <clears throat> you know, God's intent in all things. Please hear my heart before you like make all these theological like dogmas out of this, right? There's two rabbis. Sounds like a joke. It is, but it's really actually a, a Talmudic story. Two rabbis are getting together, right? Rabbi number one goes to rabbi number two, probably like, you know, spinning his beard and says, uh, does God lack anything? Rabbi number two is you know, pacing and thinking and pondering. Rabbi number two goes to rabbi number one. Well, he's, uh, God is omnipotent, right? He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, meaning he's, he's everywhere. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. He stops. Rabbi number one says, good, true, but you haven't answered the question. Does God lack anything? And so the second rabbi says, no, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient. How can he lack anything? Rabbi number one says, he lacks one thing. He lacks limits. He has no limit. He's everything and everywhere and is in all places. He can do all things. He does not have limits. Man has limits. Humans have limits, and in fact, humans were created with limits. And we usually view them to be bad things, but they're actually very beautiful things. You were created with limits because your limits give you meaning. What's the meaning of your limits? What do you do with your limits? Only so much time, only so many resources, only so much energy, only so much money. This is the cause of your creation. This is the cause of your meaning. I have limits. You created me with limits. And since we have limits, we can sacrifice. You can only sacrifice if you have limited things. Otherwise, it's no longer a... If I give money and I know money is just going to keep pouring out because I can pick it off a tree, it's no longer a sacrifice. You can only sacrifice those things which are finite, your time, your money, your resources. That is a sacrifice. So God does not have any limits. It's the one thing he lacks. Which means I guess he has limits. He lacks. Or he lacks limits. Is a better way to put it. And so here we are. The cause of our creation is to explain and understand what do we do with our limits. You can respond, I shall sacrifice. I shall be a priest. I shall use even my limits to give unto you. Ministering to the Father relationship and even unto mankind. And so to conclude some of this, and a little bit more I want to do, but this, if you walk away with nothing, here we go, right? A little recap. There's a concept 
if there's no meaning, there's no need to be created. And then therefore, you were created, which means you have meaning. You have a purpose. Third one. Third one. Limits. Uh, we were created to be priests before God and man, but man turned away. You don't have to hit that, Josh. Unfortunately. Uh, the Father sent a new order. Uh, a new order of priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, which established a priesthood. The order of Melech Zedek, which is the first one who offered, um, that Abraham offered and tithed to. Melech means king, Zedek means righteous, the righteous king. Essentially, Jesus. Now let's see how Jesus brings this all together. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There has been now a new priesthood who has come down to earth, a new Adam, to come to restore a priesthood. But many of us in the church don't even know what it means to be a priest anymore. We're still in a place of, I want to be a son or daughter. I still want to be a bride. I want to be a Christian. Maybe I want to be a disciple. I want to be a bondservant. These are all great things that we taught at. But I'm telling you, there's a time for the church in the 21st century in the West to become priests again. Because that's the message, but man has forgotten the message, but yet he is the messenger. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, he comes to clarify a little bit more. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, just for a little added sting. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Meaning... Paul cannot continue to talk about the order of Melchizedek because we're dull of hearing. We don't even understand the message that we are priests. How am I going to go into the details of what Melchizedek is? And so really closing up here, it's this. Jesus the high priest came to restore relationship to the Father. I like this. You like this. I'm saved. Everlasting life. It's great. How can you not be fantastic and fantastically glad about that? But here's the thing, man. This is something that's been lost in the church. He came to restore a relationship to the Father. I got it. But he also came to restore the priesthood. And the question here is, are you acting like a priest? I'm saved. I'm entering the pearly white gates, man. But that, that's great, but that's not a priest. Are you a priest? 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. This thing you're like, oh, what priesthood is like 
Old Testament stuff. What are you talking about here, right? Well, there you are, right? First Peter chapter 2, just to give some New Testament clarification here. But you, oh my, me, I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people and are now the people of God, who have had not attained mercy, but now have attained mercy. You are clearly called to be a priest. To be a priest is to minister to God in relationship. To minister is to worship. To worship is to be in agreement with God. And I get that largely from Jose Diaz and Heart of David. To be a priest is to worship, and to worship is to be in agreement in what God says about you and what God says about himself. And we're pretty good at saying what God says about himself, and we're not so good about what God says about me. And why don't we rise? What does he say about you? You are a holy people. A priesthood who were once in darkness and once in sin, but now have been made a new people. And what do priests do? They minister to the heart of the Father, and they minister to man. Next slide, please. Josh, if you're back there. The heaven, go back one, I guess it is working. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Psalm 115, 16. God, do you know that God wants you to help him restore the earth? Do you know that? That God has called you to subdue the earth and have dominion over it in him. To usher in his kingdom. See, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to man. But to help to restore the earth, man must become a priest again. And a priest bears meaning in his life. He knows his meaning to be in agreement with God, the restoration of relationship, and the ministering to his heart. And of course, proclaiming the gospel unto those timid souls who have lost the meaning of life and the busyness of existence. Father, we come before you and we just say, Lord, we want to do more than exist. We want to bear life. And life is impact. And life is purpose. And life is meaning. Father, I just pray against the people out there that are, that are just in this wonky, melancholic attitude of life. Like, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm just going through the road. I'm just doing my 9 to 5 thing, Lord. I pray right now that the breath of purpose would just come into them, Lord. Lord, that they would believe again, that they would hear from you again, that I have been created and then therefore I have a purpose and a meaning. And the purpose and the meaning is to be a priest. To minister to your heart and relationship and to minister unto the other nations of the earth. Jesus name we're going to close out here feel free to head downstairs and get some refreshments let me just go to the next slide for those that are staying for prayer I just want to invite you 
Uh, if this message is pulling on your heart and you want some prayer, we're going to have some people down here to pray for you. And I want that prayer, or that prayer is going to be the restoration of the priesthood. A restoration of the priesthood in your heart. A restoration of the priesthood in your spirit. That we can say we want nothing else, nothing else but you, Lord. Nothing else but your presence. Nothing else but to be involved in the, in, in the purpose of meaning, in the purpose of creation. To bear witness of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Step into the high water of priesthood through Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Let's just keep the conversations low. We really, I really just feel like the Lord today wants to release this Psalm 27, this Psalm 115, this 1 Peter 2 expression of going out and saying, I just want you. I just need you. Nothing else will do. I want to step into my priesthood. I want to step into relationship again with you. I want to draw deeper into who you are. I want to minister to your heart. I want to lay all things at your feet and, and just adorn you with praise and worship. And I want to go out and proclaim the power of the gospel unto the lost, unto all the nations of the earth. If that is something that you need to recalibrate. I just pray that you come on down right now. We're just going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Have a wonderful week.